Okay. You all have somebody to pray for this week, all right? So, I'm going to give you another card now, and then I'll tell you what to do with it. Has anybody here ever been arrested? Yes. Have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Do what? You ever been arrested? Has anybody here ever gotten a traffic ticket? Yep. How are we going to get a few hands down there? I got a what? A parking ticket? Okay, that's better than a speeding ticket. I think.
and I'll take it home and you know, put it in the freezer and I'll come back and if I can find a bigger one, I'll shoot it and then I'll tag it and take it and get mounted. And if I can't shoot a bigger one, then I'll take this one and get it mounted, big enough, you know. So that was my plan. So halfway down the back of the mountain was a man in a green truck. And he said, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent and so forth. And what he did was, he got out a book. It was kind of like this book that we're going to use tonight, but it was quite different. And he started writing me a citation. And uh, violation was not tagging deer. And he gave me a court date in the nearest little town. And I appeared there, and the judge didn't know what to do, but the game warden told her what to do, and she fined me $300. And you say, well, that's not too bad. Well, I was making $1.75 an hour, and actually by that time I was making 3 bucks an hour. That's a lot of money at that rate. You know? So the Lord taught me a big lesson there. And that's what the Lord used to turn me around. I grew up in church and all that. I got baptized in Turkey and all that stuff. But that was when the Lord finally showed me. He said, you know, you're always comparing yourself with your friends, you know. They don't do, you don't drink like they drink. And you don't drive like they drive. And you don't with girls, what they do with girls and all this stuff. He said, but <clears throat> here's a law. Is this a good law that you can only shoot one deer? Is that fair for everybody? I said, yeah, well, that's a good law. Did you break that law? <clears throat> yeah, Lord, I broke that law. Now, what the Lord taught me was you don't break God's laws. They break you. Anyway, we've been talking about if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness in 1 John. So what I want you to do tonight is I want you to write yourself a ticket for some law of God, like a moral law, not like a dietary law or something, but a moral law of God that you know you've broken. You write yourself a ticket. Well, um, I called my mom a bad name. <laughs> no. All right? If you don't know God's law, you go to Exodus 20, about the first uh, 10 verses or so, and you get a whole list of things might jog your memory a little bit, okay? So you write yourself a ticket for something that you've done to break God's law. Maybe you've stolen something, or maybe you've lied, or maybe whatever, okay? And while you're doing that, I need one person to volunteer, and this will get you out of the assignment, to be a waitress tonight. Would somebody volunteer to be a waitress in a skit with me tonight? You will? All right, then you can get out of the 
And you and Neil kind of go through the skit while they're writing themselves a ticket. How's that? And you keep your ticket. We're not going to trade tickets. <laughs> I got your ticket, man. For 10 bucks, I won't tell anybody. No, we're not going to do that. I got a this is the key ingredient we put right here, okay? And then your house is set up good for a, a theater here. Okay, come here. Then you can dress yourself up like a waitress. Best I can do this.
Is there anything else? Uh, no, that's it for now, thanks. All right, get that right out for you. <laughs> All right, here's your hamburger. Here's your onion ring. Thank you very much. Right, enjoy that. Oh, I will. Okay. I didn't have a beard then, but I was still using that for him. Maybe like 12. How was that? Oh, it was so wonderful. Oh, I could take a nap. I'm glad. Would you like to finish off with any dessert? We got some apple pie. Or Cookies. How about hot fudge sundae? Oh, are yeah. they still 20 cents? Yep, sure are. Oh, I gotta have one. No nuts. No nuts? Got right. lots of whipped cream and cherry on top. <laughs> lots of whipped cream? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> much as they'll let you put on. All right, we'll make sure they do that. Oh. oh, yeah. I'll get that right out. Thank you. I <laughs> 
paid for my Sunday onion rings, hamburger, and cherry coke. Right, but he gave me, I gave him the receipt. He even paid me for it. Here. And then you say, okay, you can run along, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Good job. Oh, no, you can keep it. <laughs> something in the mail that says do not fold, spindle, or mutilate? Spindle? No, you even get emails now, alright? This is called a spindle. And when you paid for something back in my day, they put it on a nail. On a, they had a real chrome base and this was nice and sharp and didn't look like a nail. It was a little bit longer and everything. And everybody's receipt went on a spindle. And that's how you knew that it was paid for. It also kept your receipt from blowing around or getting lost or whatever. But it wasn't primarily a filing system, okay? It was primarily to prove that you had paid. If that had that hole in there, then it's paid. If I didn't pay for it and she put it on there, Tough luck for this guy, you know, because it's still Mark paid. And this goes back far before my time. This goes clear back before Bible times. And this might not just be a 65 cent visit to Star Drug. This might be the mortgage on your house that you paid for 20 years. And you finally made the last payment. And you went to the banker, and he took your, all your payments now have holes in them. They're, so they're filed somewhere. But every check that you've given him or payment that you've given him, he's given you a receipt and put it on his spindle. And now he's going to take your whole contract for your house, and he's going to put it on this spindle. And when somebody asks you if you own your house, when the tax collector comes and you say, well, I don't own this house, I just live here, then he's going to ask for your mortgage or your receipt, and it's going to have a hole in it. And he said, oh, yes, you do. And you're going to get taxed. 
This was a very critical thing in Bible times. And somebody needs to look up for me uh, Colossians 2, 10 through 15. I think that's right. I'll beat you to it and check. Colossians 2. Yep. 13 through 15. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Who has it? I got it. Okay, read it. For it is God who works in you both. It will, it will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you you're right next door. <laughs> you have it? We'll wait for her. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven for all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting and requirements that we that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross all right he has taken our transgressions he's taken your ticket taken my self citation and all our violations of his law he nailed to the cross and that's this idea we're back from the spindle to the nail this is the word picture here when they drove the nails in Jesus hands this is my ticket for poaching a deer and when he drove the nails through Jesus hands Let's get a little practice here. Because you don't want to get your finger. <laughs> All right? They're on my ticket. It's forgiven. It's paid for at the cross. And I'm going to let each one of you put your ticket on there. <laughs> don't poke your hand in there. <laughs> it's tricky. Because <laughs> you hurt. I'm just going to like all sadness. I don't know. 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 I it's tougher than you think. <laughs> there you go. If we confess our sins, we faithful and just. Good for you. Great step. There 
word picture in Colossians. And that is the transaction that happens in 1 John. And look who just showed up. Late. Late. <laughs> We're giving out tickets tonight, and we caught you in the act. Went to go get a cat, a check, and Jeff. some different ways that our fellowship has been broken with somebody. Uh, last week I told you that um, I wouldn't come if somebody else came, but I was just teasing right? But most of us have someone in our lives, or actually some of us have lots of people in our lives, that we don't want to be where they are. Or we don't want to see them or run into them. Or we don't want to talk to them. It might even be a family member. I have a sister who hasn't spoken to me in years. But a few times she's spoken to me in the last 10 years has not been good. All right. How does this happen? Why does this happen? There are several different ways. We talked a little bit last week about Cain and Abel. What happened in that relationship that their fellowship together was broken? Jealousy. Jealousy. And Cain hated his brother because his brother's works were righteous and his were evil, right? We're going to get to that later in 1 John here. So, if you tell me that there's somebody, that Jacob invited somebody to come tonight, but no. he found out you were going to be here and said, no, I won't, I won't go if she's there. All right. Is that because you are righteous and he's not? Probably. Probably. <laughs> Absolutely. How many of you think that your 
dysfunctional relationship with someone is because you are righteous and they are not. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, we're martyrs. We live for God and they don't want to. And so they're not going to want to be around us. Let's talk about Jesus and do good things. Right? She's in it with us too, see? Now for the rest of you, what else might be the problem? That there's a breakdown in the relationship. Pardon? Pride. Okay, so they are proud and you're not. <laughs> this is a problem. Right? <laughs> is that what you're talking about or not really? No, I was talking about pride. Yeah, that makes me get like a thought. Okay. <laughs> There's a verse in Proverbs that says, only by pride cometh contention. You know what contention is? You know? Nope. You like the way God made your nose? Nice. Do you? Then don't cross me or I'll change it. Alright? Alright. Okay. <laughs> So that's insightful that only by pride cometh contention. Now, if you're not proud, and they are, then that's their problem, huh? <laughs> All right, what else could damage a relationship and, and cut off your fellowship with somebody? Hmm? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Alright. Now which party is unforgiving? It could be both. It could be both. She's going to spread it around a little bit. She's going to say they could both be proud and you're going to say unforgiving. Alright. So what is it that needed to be forgiven? Or who needs to forgive who in this relationship you're thinking of that you know is not what God wants it to be? Yourself? Hmm? Yourself? Yourself, it could be. It's kind of a last resort, though. <laughs> But it could be. We do do things to offend other people, don't we? Even if maybe we didn't plan to. But a lot of times we plan to, don't we? And that cuts off our fellowship. I like Jeremy. We're not close friends because... He's a painter, and I'm a roofer. So I usually, you know, roofers usually look down on painters. <laughs> 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 that was great. Geograph 
But if every time I come here on Thursday night, I go over to Jeremy and kick him in the kneecap, well, I'm thinking it might hinder our fellowship. Actions. Actions do break fellowship, don't they? But the problem is not that I kick him in the knee. The problem is that he won't forgive me for doing that. <laughs> I mean, he forgave me last week, but after I kicked him again this week, then he doesn't want to forgive me this week. <laughs> but that happens, doesn't it? That's Jeremy for you. <laughs> And it's really hard, you know, we can talk about all this, but it's really hard to forgive someone who hasn't done anything wrong. You go to that someone and you say, you know, I know that my relationship with you is not what God wants it to be. But it's your fault. <laughs> You've done that, haven't you? I know you have. I mean, not in so many words, maybe. And uh, it's really hard when someone offends you and hurts you deeply and they don't think they did anything wrong. How can you forgive them? You can't go say, you know, I forgive you for doing that. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> what? I do that to everybody. <laughs> you, you had it coming. You ever hear that one? He had it coming. You know? That's a good one. I it. Yeah. And so all sorts of things go on in our thinking, but when someone comes to you, like let's take this for an example. All right. Let's say that I come here and I tell you, you know, back in the day, Mrs. Howard used to sit in my classes like you when she was your age. You know? And what if I tell you Mrs. Howard was good looking when she was younger? What are you laughing at? She was. You said was. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you said was. Well, I didn't mean nothing by it. I mean, if she's good looking now, obviously she was good looking then. She didn't take it that way, though, did she? See? So I'm going to patch it up next week. I'll bring her some flowers. <laughs> And she doesn't like that the next week I'll bring you some cookies. 
She's not going to forgive me, is she? Not until I go to her and I say, I'm sorry, Mrs. Howard, that really came out wrong. But, and I, sh I shouldn't have said it that way. And I didn't mean to imply that you were any less good looking now than you were. I'm really very sorry. I really, I really did mean it as a compliment. It just didn't come out that way. And then she has a choice to either forgive me or not forgive me. But when I say, why are you miffed? <laughs> She's not going to be very inclined to forgive me, is she? Huh? You see what I'm saying? When someone comes to you and says, you know, the Lord has convicted me that what I said to you was not appropriate, would you please forgive me? Then you give them an opportunity to release you. You give them an opportunity to release themselves from any bitterness they have toward you. And you give them an opportunity to say, not you had it coming, or it was partly my fault too, or whatever. They just say, I forgive you. And then your fellowship can be restored, can't it? In fact, most of us aren't as experienced in forgiveness as we ought to be. You know? Like, here, here's the best one. Um, uh, well, I see you won't sit by me. Uh, if I did something wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> what am I saying? It's like, it's like a blanket apology. Yeah. Anything I've done. Yeah, and it's probably your fault, but if, it, if it's mine, I'm going to look, you know, about the game. Don't even know what I need to know what it was. <laughs> exactly. You don't even name it. And so and we say, I'm sorry. You know, say, you know, I know we're not getting along, I'm sorry. And say, I'm sorry too. <laughs> you didn't reconcile nothing, did you? And it's important to learn to go to go to God and say, you know. Jacob's just been avoiding me. It, I mean, it, it didn't bother me the first two years, but the last five years, it's really bothered me. He just he doesn't want to be around me. If I go in the room, he goes out. And uh, things break down, and we need to be reconciled to people. So we need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what did I do to Jacob? I don't even remember. You know? Or you say, I, I remember. I remember. Yeah, but which one was the worst? <laughs> <laughs> and God will, with his Holy Spirit, usually tell you. Or somebody else will tell you. Say, I know why Jacob avoided you. 
because uh, you were at Awana and it was ice cream cold night and you licked his ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's been bad. You know? <laughs> and usually God, one way or another, will let you know what you've done and you can go to that person And uh, sometimes they don't understand. But it's important to identify as best you can the offense and to ask them to forgive you. And unfortunately, the place this happens the most is in marriage, you know? If Rachel tells me I was good looking when I was younger, <laughs> I can go home and laugh it off, you know. That's not true either, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but with my if my wife told me something, my wife knows where I live. And when she's mad and she wants to hurt me. She knows which button to push. And the people that you are closest to are the people that can hurt you the most. You think about that. You know, Jeremy kicks me in the knee. I'll drop a brick on him next time. <laughs> <laughs> But the people that are close to you, they can really hurt you. And it's important to be quick to forgive. It's important to be quick to identify your offense. And it's important to ask them to forgive you. My wife and I almost split the sheets about halfway through. I mean, we were right on the verge. And uh, I had done something and I didn't even, I had written something bad about her in my private journal, and she found my private journal, and she was typing it up for me because it was messy, and she was a secretary. You know? And I said, what were you doing in my journal? And she said, what were you doing saying that about me? And I had to, it took a long time. I had to ask her to forgive me and tell her it was wrong to do that, whether she found it or not. Saved our marriage. And <laughs> didn't save it overnight. <laughs> we didn't exactly kiss and make up. You know? But it was a long time. But from that time on, we learned. When we offended one another, and after some time to cool off or whatever, to go to them and say, sorry, Mom, I know that hurt you. Will you forgive me? It's important to ask people, will you forgive me? If they won't forgive you, you don't deserve to be forgiven, okay? But now it becomes their choice to cut off fellowship. It's not your choice to cut off your fellowship with them. You see what I'm saying? And here's where we get really tripped up. Because 
We always talk about love. John's talking about love. And he says, love is unconditional. Love forgives. Love forgives even if you don't ask forgiveness. And that's true. But when it comes down to resolving conflicts with other people, there's another card in the deck. And this is it. That love might be unconditional, but fellowship is conditional. All right? If Jeremy wants to come here every week with his gun and take a few shots at me, I'll forgive him. But I ain't gonna let him in. He's <laughs> gonna break our fellowship, all right? And so this is an important thing to remember that you do love unconditionally, but fellowship is conditional. And sometimes somebody in the church has to be put out of the church because they're not acting like a Christian. And that's really tough. But if they're not going to repent of their sin, they can't come fellowship with you and set an, a bad example. All right? Tough. But just remember that love is unconditional, but fellowship is conditional. And we, I just want you to think of somebody that you have a conflict with, and I just want you to go to God and ask Him to show you what you've done in the relationship and purpose to go and ask forgiveness. They might forgive you, they might not. All right? I'll close with a story. Before I, <clears throat> before I got my ticket, all right, wherever it is, doesn't matter now because God will. Before I got my ticket and before the Lord really saved me, I <clears throat> met this girl. And I was like way mad in love with this girl. She lived in another city and I'd drive back and forth a couple hours and stuff. And uh, I really wanted her to marry me. And she just kind of wasn't ready for that. And that was tough. And that went on for a few years, and off, mostly on and off for a few years, and mostly off. And uh, anyway, after the Lord saved me, what, what happened was, after I got my ticket, and I got thinking about this, I said, Lord, you know, I've ruined my life. All I do is hunt, and I'm not even happy. And now I've been arrested. And I was going to kill myself. I really was. I was sitting in my apartment one night, and I was going to try and figure out a good way to kill myself. It wouldn't offend my parents. That's <laughs> pretty tough to do. And finally, the Lord just made me an offer. He said, you want to give me the pieces? I'll take them. I said, there ain't much left. But you can have it. From now on, we'll do it your way, whatever it is. God changed my life that night. And I hadn't seen this gal for a while, so I, I quit and drove two hours up to Phoenix. And I told her what had happened and how God had changed my life. 
and how I was going to take a different direction and try to be obedient to him and so forth. And I was all excited. You think I preached a long sermon tonight. I really preached a long sermon that night. And she wasn't all that excited about it. She grew up in church just like I did. She believed in God like I did and stuff. But I was on fire. And she wasn't. And I knew that this relationship was one that I had created, not God. This was my choice, not his choice. And when I saw that she wasn't on the same page I was with the Lord, then I knew it was over and that's fine. So I went on about my life and went back home and I got started teaching a Sunday school class of junior hires and I started making my own lessons and I had to make the old, you think, you think dying cherry cokes is bad. We didn't have copy machines in my day. You had to type up this stencil on purple carbon paper and then put it on a machine on a drum and go around and around like this and print off copies. And it was crazy, and, but I would do that. I would go in the office where I worked and type them up and then have the secretary of church run them off from my class. And uh, that's when I met my wife, Arlene. She watched me type in these and then you have to take the pages apart and cut it with a razor blade, put purple goop on there and put it and get it back and strike that later. No word processors, you know, no cursor. I mean, you, you blow it, you start over. And, and that's how I met her. She, she couldn't stand to see me do that, so she started doing that for me. And uh, anyway, long story short, um, I was seeking the Lord and, and praying and fasting a day a week and stuff. And, and uh, it soon became apparent that this was his choice for me. And we got engaged and, and I was gonna go to Idaho and uh, look for a job and look for an apartment. And then I, that would be the first of March and then end of May I would come back and get married. And so <clears throat> Friday came end of March, or end of uh, February, and uh, she wore her ring, and we announced our engagement, and everybody in the store, we worked in a sporting goods store, a gun store, and everybody's all, but they figured it out anyway, you know, and uh, so, last day of work, and I'm in the building out behind the store, loading the ammunition like I always was, and uh, in the door walks this girl that I haven't talked to for over a year. And I just about passed out. And she says, oh, I just wanted to see if you're still alive and if you had another girlfriend and, or if you were still here or whatever. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh, boy. And I said, why, are you ready to settle down? She said, yeah, I am. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> this is so bad. This is the worst day of my life. <laughs> anyway, I just said, well, I'll just be playing with you. This is my last day of work here. Monday I leave for Idaho, and today I announce my engagement to Arlene. 
And she started crying, you know. And uh, it was bad deal. Anyway, when she left, um, uh, it was tough. God just spoke to me and he just said, all right, there's your best, here's my best. Do you get it? I said, yeah, Lord, I get it. So I, I moved to Idaho, got a job, got an apartment, came back in May, got, we got married, moved up here, lived happily ever after, except for that fight I just told you about. <laughs> <laughs> After my wife died, my wife and I were planning to go back to Arizona and get there every few years because we have family down there. And we were planning to visit this gal's family. We knew the whole family. And uh, so we were going to visit them. And uh, so I decided, well, I'll go ahead and visit her sister and her brother if he wants to. The mom's still alive and whatnot. You know. And I kept in touch with the sister somehow. Um, Christmas cards or something. Anyway, 40 some years later, I knew I owed this gal an apology. All right? I asked her to marry me and then just ridden off into the sunset. Never talked to her again. She never talked to me either. You don't do that. That's not right. You could at least have the courtesy to say, hey, I'm sorry, I know things aren't going to work out for us, I'm moving on, or whatever. So through an interesting chain of events, I managed to catch up with this gal in the airport in Phoenix. And I said, you know, I, I had left her with some apologies for our relationship, and I said, I owe you a greater apology than I left you with. I said, it wasn't right for me to cut off communication. She said, well, I never felt that way. I said, well, the Lord convicted me that I did the wrong thing. And will you forgive me? And she forgave me. She was reluctant to. She kind of wanted to act like, oh, no big deal, of course, I, you know. But I just told her, it's not just about you and me. This is between me and the Lord. I owe you an apology, and I'm making it. I did the wrong thing. And I later found out that she married another guy, and it was a disaster. It would have been a disaster if she didn't marry me, and God really spared me, and all that stuff. But what I'm trying to tell you is, Things don't just go away. God makes us deal with offenses that we commit against other people. He doesn't just let broken relationships just go on. So as we go through 1 John, we'll move on next week in there. But if you're live, trying to live the Christian life and you hate your brother, so to speak, <laughs> I just would challenge you this week to ask the Lord to help you start dealing with that. Okay? So, somebody want to pray for us?
You want to pray for us? Sure. Yeah. Dear Father, we thank you for Ron. We thank you for this group of kids. Uh, we just look to you and your son for guidance in all that we do. We thank you for it. In his name we pray.